the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Pastor Scott Furrow with you today. It is Good Friday, and it is great to be with you, and it is a very good Friday. Really glad I can be with you each and every day from 3 to 5. By the way, big announcement later in the show, and I think you'll be excited about that, so stay tuned with us. It is Good Friday, and uh, you know what? Part of this week, we have been doing the six steps to Easter, and in our program today is the sixth step, which I'm thankful I get to give you, so I encourage you to do that. If you've missed it, you can go to kkla.com and click on Six Steps to Easter, and you'll get each of the six steps, and I really encourage you to check that out. We'll talk more about that today on the program also and maybe give you some uh, of what the other pastors did. I was grateful that I was able to interview different pastors each day of the six steps, the first five, and get their perspective on different things for us to do leading up to Easter, and I'm going to give you some things today for Good Friday. But I thought it was also a good idea to talk about Good Friday. And each day this week, I've also taken some time to tell you, you know, what happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and today is Friday. Uh, you know, some people um, like to call it God's Friday, but it's Good Friday. You know, what is Good Friday? You ever think about that? Why do we call it good? Where did that come from? You know, we have good days and we have bad days. You probably would agree in your life you have good days and bad days. You know, what makes a day good? Like when I come home, my kids will say or my wife will say, you know, how was your day? And I usually don't get into it, you know. But if it's a good day, I'll say, oh, it was a good day today, you know. And um, Or if it was a regular day, I'd probably say fine, you know, typical day. If it wasn't a good day, I might just say, well, I've had better days. I usually don't get too much into it unless there's something to you know, specific, right? Sometimes there's good days and bad days, but sometimes there's really good days, right? Something specific happens and some kind of event happens or you're successful at something, right? There's something that makes a good day a really good day. So when you think about Good Friday, uh, I want you to think about this, maybe from the standpoint of Jesus, was this a good day for Jesus? You ever think about that? You know, uh, they, they wouldn't have called it Good Friday at the time. Now, Jesus might have very well called it Good Friday because he knew what that day was really about. But nobody else would have called it Good Friday, not at the time. Later on, when they truly understand. And and by the way, they didn't. It's really important, I think, when we think about our faith, when we think about Christianity, that there, you know, Jesus announced many times that he would die and that he would be resurrected. And he told the disciples in multiple ways this was going to happen. And how many of them really believed it? The answer is zero. Like they might have had some hope and maybe they kind of talked about it. But the reason that we know the answer is zero is because nobody was in the garden waiting for him to come out on that Sunday morning. Now, you might have a uh, sunrise service at your church. Do you do that at your church, the sunrise service? I've done that a couple of times. I've, been in, I've mostly been in the role of setting up the sunrise service 
which in one place we used to do in San Diego, we would do it on Mount Helix, which is this, this mountain with kind of this, these winding roads to get up there and a lot of homes. It's a neighborhood, right? And then on the top of the mountain is an amphitheater, a big cross, if you're familiar with that area of San Diego. And different churches will rotate who gets to do a, a sunrise service up there. I'll tell you what, it's a lot of work. It's, it's not a good Sunday from the standpoint of you're busy. And one, one year, it was so much work, and it was so hard, and I thought to myself, you know, why are we doing this? Because the disciples weren't there at dawn at the tomb. They, hadn't, they, they didn't believe it. <laughs> and uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to put down your sunrise service. I mean, it's a great thing now because we do believe it. It's a great thing to say, you know what, I do believe this, and knowing what I know now, I would have been there. I mean, imagine if you believed that Jesus was going to rise from the grave. If you understood what he meant, and you're one of the disciples or one of his followers, well, you bring your beach chair, right? You bring a uh, cooler, and you get there you know, before dawn on Sunday morning, and you hang out, and you, you kind of know what time the sun's going to come up or whatever time Jesus would come out, and you go 10, 9, 8, 6. You would count down, and there would be signs. There would be cheering. There would be you know, all kinds of hoopla, but there was nobody there. Uh, the Roman soldiers would be the first ones to understand that something was up. The disciples, Peter and John and all the rest of them, they, they were not hanging out. They didn't have their beach chairs there. Even the, even the women who were the most, uh, you know, the first, first ones to be there ultimately, they weren't there yet. You know, they weren't waiting for him to come out so they could fold up his clothes. They weren't there. It's a very interesting thing, isn't it? And I think that's important because it's important for us to understand that our faith, our faith is founded on Resurrection Day. Our faith, our foundation of our faith is on that event. It is that event that gives credibility to what Jesus did on Good Friday. Because if there is not a resurrection on Sunday, then what happens on Good Friday is a good old-fashioned Roman execution of a guy who offended a bunch of people because he said he was God and he was pronouncing himself as the uh, lawgiver and the law himself and all the things that Jesus was accused of by the religious leaders those religious leaders might have been right had there not been a resurrection. The reason we call it Good Friday is because it turns out that what Jesus did on that Good Friday was a really good thing. It turns out that the evil that was committed against him, charging and executing an innocent man, like we have once in a while, that happens in our society, right? We're seeing that a lot now with DNA evidence that gets people released, sometimes from death row or lifetime sentences or other sentences. It's a great injustice when somebody is falsely accused and convicted for a crime that they didn't commit. Well, that's what happened to Jesus from a legal perspective. And it would be a horrible Friday, a horrible Friday for the issues of justice or the horrible Friday for the issues of religion and the state. And there's so many things that would just be terrible about it. But no, it's actually a very good Friday. You know, what did the people of that day think when you go back there, and they didn't know the resurrection was coming, they didn't quite understand that. Put yourself on that Good Friday where those people were. What did they think? They did not stand at the bottom of the cross saying, wow, what an act of love. You know that? They, John was there, and John was there with Mary, Jesus' mom, and the rest of the disciples were long gone. But they weren't going, wow, what an act of love. Hallelujah, Jesus has made propitiation for our sins. Oh, blessed is the grace and mercy of the Lord our God for sacrificing his son, the second person in the Trinity. They didn't say any of that. 
Uh, they did not say, Lord, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. That's not what the first Good Friday was about. These people saw somebody who was having a bad day, as best as they could tell. But he made a certain impression on them, even that day. So I want to just take us back to that. You're listening to Southern California Live. Pastor Scott Furrow with you today. It's Good Friday, and good to be with you today. So we're talking about Good Friday. You know, So this week we've had the different days. You have Palm Sunday, and uh, Jesus comes riding in, and then he cleans out the temple, and not what they expected. A lot of controversy follows with that. Immediately, some of the same people who wanted to uh, champion him, who thought he might be the one to come in and be a great political messiah, they just wanted to kill him. It took one day for everybody's uh, you know, politics to change on who they thought Jesus was, and the politically astute bystanders knew at that time that Jesus is going to get himself killed, and the politicians got to work and put that plot in motion. By Thursday, the plot is in motion, and the bad day begins. And there's a final dinner Thursday night, last night, with his buddies, and he tells them what's up. He gets the ball rolling, right? John thirteen twenty seven. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Do you think Jesus was talking to Satan or talking to Judas? Anyway, uh, maybe it's both. Since Judas had the charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, like Jesus was telling him to go to Costco or something, you know, or to give something to the poor, which probably Jesus did. I mean, you know, I'll bet that every time they had some kind of surplus in the, the giving that was more than what they needed to get to the next town or feed people at the next sermon, I bet he did. He gave it away. As soon as G- Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. See, the disciples right now are kind of thinking, this Jesus guy, he's getting kind of crazy. You know, he's a little bit of a loon, and they're getting worried, you know, probably a little bit worried. They, by this time, know the tension is there in Jerusalem. And it's a mood of uncertainty and awkwardness. And Jesus knows that there's inner conflict going on with all of them. Eventually, they go to the garden, and at the garden, Jesus is praying. Jesus knows it's going to be a hard day. And his prayer was like drops of blood. And he asks his father in heaven, can I be relieved of this burden? He knew it was going to be rough. And the answer was no. We're not going to remove this cup from you. You know, what's interesting about the disciples is that they don't really pray for him. They go to sleep. Uh, Luke says that they were asleep because they were exhausted from sorrow. You know, that have you ever been depressed or have you ever suffered from depression just had a really rough time. You know what depressed people do is they sleep all the time, right? You know, if you're dealing with depression, you're struggling to get up in the morning and you go to bed early and maybe you struggle to sleep at night, but uh, you're just tired all the time. And Jesus was left alone. This is a rough time for him. And then it's Friday morning. Jesus is not going to sleep through the night. The soldiers come to arrest him and he comes with people who You remember if you're Jesus, you're looking, and I'll bet that some of those people were in the parade putting the palm branches down and singing Hosanna just a few days before. And then Judas, his accountant, kisses him hello, but he knows it's a betrayal. And then your buddy Peter cuts off the ear of the soldier, which is not how you wanted him to act. You heal the soldier. His name is Malchus. Scripture tells us his name. I think it's because we're going to meet that guy one day. That's what I think. And then you're Jesus and you're taken away and the beatings begin. This is not a good day 
for most people, right? And we call it Good Friday. Then there's the trials. There's Roman trials and Jewish religious trials. And there's more beatings in between. There's betrayal. He hears Peter deny him three times. And suddenly Jesus is uncool to his friends. These are people hanging around Jesus who, you know, probably, you know, certainly they felt a sense of greatness being with him. You ever Are you ever with somebody and you feel like, you know what, I'm I'm with these people and and I'm important because I'm standing next to this person or I'm on the stage with this person or I, I have my picture taken with this person, right? And we put it on our Instagram and we go, look who I got to meet. And it doesn't really mean anything, but there's a feeling that people get. The disciples felt that, right? You've got a couple of them arguing about who's going to be greater in the kingdom of God and their mom getting involved with all of that. And now those people are gone. Uh, even Peter himself denies him. So the hurt is coming from all sides on Jesus. He's mocked by the soldiers. Luke twenty two sixty three. the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. And then he has these trials and it's a sham trial and he knows it. And no one stands to defend you. Even the people like Pilate who know you're innocent, don't. And then you choose not to defend yourself. Pilate finds him innocent, but he says, let's, uh, let's let the trial get out of hand. And three times he sends Jesus uh, out and he says, hey, this guy's innocent. What's your problem? And, you know, Pilate is no Judge Judy, by the way. Judge Judy would have freed him right away, right? He, she would have had some sarcastic remark, and then we would have gone to commercial and next case. The priests come back and threaten Pilate. We'll make sure Caesar knows that you didn't execute a seditionist. And Pilate bows to that pressure. One last chance, he releases Barabbas. I mean, think about it. If you're Jesus, and you know what you're here to do. Like, we should make no mistake that Jesus understood what all of this is about. That's why he didn't fight back, right? That's why he didn't defend himself. He knew what was coming. But it had to hurt. It had to hurt when the people, his people, say, give us Barabbas, a known criminal, in exchange for a guy who is innocent, who they know is innocent, but just wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do politically. Pilate makes a sign, I-N-R-I, it says on it, uh, by the way, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is what it said. In case you didn't know who he was, there it was. It was all spelled out for you, right there on the cross. That's what Jesus did, or that's what Pilate did on Jesus' cross. It's an interesting thing, right? There is a clear understanding in that culture, in the story, that people knew what Jesus was claiming. He carries his own cross. The sun has come up. He's bleeding from the crown of thorns that they hammered into his head and from the whipping. And now probably the sun is hot. They didn't have suntan lotion in those days. He's nailed to the wood and hoisted up to suffocate and die. That's how you die in crucifixion. You suffocate uh, before you bleed to death. Below you, you see your mom. You see only one of your friends. You see people mocking you and glad that you are dying. And you see gruesome ones next to you being crucified as well. We know there were at least two other people crucified. Some people suspect that there might have been lots of people around getting crucified. It was a regular thing for the Romans to do. It's kind of a, you know, a Friday afternoon uh, picnic time to warn people of what they should not be doing. That's what the executions were very much about, their advertisement, right? Their advertisement for, hey, here's a crime here. Don't do this. 
don't claim that you're the king of the Jews. Don't claim that you're the Messiah or this is going to happen. See, there's a sign we put it up. This is not a good day and it's only 9 a.m. Then the father turns away from you and you have this ultimate loneliness. However that works out, there's all kinds of funny arguments that people have about what that really means when Jesus cried out, uh, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But whatever it means, it was a painful moment. He wasn't just quoting scripture to tie it back to the psalmist, okay? He was not an actor. There's some people out there who feel like, well, Jesus um, was just saying that in order to connect himself with the Old Testament prophecy of what was going to happen. Certainly that happens, and certainly Jesus is aware of that, but his crying out was for real. He wasn't just reading the lines. He felt it. Finally, with one final gasp, you know it's over. You say it is finished. He knew it was finished, and you die. That seems like a bad day, right? And yet we call it Good Friday. You know, as all this is going on, Jesus is making an impression, though, isn't he? I mean, there's an interesting part of this story. What are the people noticing? What do they have to say about Jesus? What are some of the things that the people who are there notice and they point out and they have a conversation about it later that weekend? Some of them immediately begin to realize that they have done something awful. They executed an innocent man, Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. You know, immediately people started to reflect, and upon that reflection, Jesus was vindicated. Why did they think that? Partly by the signs from heaven that they saw. And they sat around and they wondered how they would react if they were in Jesus' shoes. And they said, well, I would have spat back at people. And Jesus didn't do that. What did he do? He went like a lamb to the slaughter. And they started to connect some dots a little bit. And Jesus didn't complain about his bad day. You ever have a bad day and you complain about it? (laughs) I have before. And this is odd behavior for an innocent man because usually a sign of an innocent person is you scream about your innocence the whole time. It demonstrated to people that Jesus was different. So who was this Jesus and what did he do? In the past, Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He's sitting down. It was something clear that at the time the Hebrews writer would put this down, They understood that his work was finished, that he finished what God has promised his people. It's that promise that leads to salvation. You know, the Old Testament saints, Abraham and Isaac and, you know, Job and people like that, how did they get to heaven? You know, how did it work for them? They, how did they get there? They had faith in God's promise of grace and mercy. They had faith. The scriptures tell us that Abraham was saved by faith, that the Old Testament saints were not saved because they did good things or because they kept the law as best they could. They all failed at that, ultimately. They were saved by their faith in God's promise of Messiah. 
you know, for us, it's the same. God hasn't changed in all these years. In order to have everlasting life, we must have faith in God's promise, which is Jesus, and that he will have mercy on us for believing in Christ. Those are the assumptions about Christ that lead to true faith. Believing in Christ means making a commitment to him. Faith results in behavioral change and attitudinal change. Our life gets changed. You know, whenever I lead someone to Christ or I've had somebody who tell me they're a new believer, maybe we baptize them, you know, you look for change in life. Sometimes it's quick, but sometimes it's slow, but you see it when somebody's saved. You know, God says we must live up to his righteousness. We can't. But through Jesus living in us, we make an exchange. We give him our sin, and we get credit for his righteousness. And through our relationship with Christ, we're accepted by God and forgiven of our sins. We inherit the kingdom of God and get to reign with him forever as family. We're adopted into his family. What Jesus did on Good Friday on that cross, what Jesus took with all the beatings and everything that came with it, and ultimately his death, it accomplished all of this for us. And once you realize this, you take the injustices that were put upon Jesus, the evil that was done, and what really in the history would be a horrific day, and you realize, actually, it's a great day. You know, actually, it is a a wonderful, wonderful day. Good Friday. And over time, the church began to realize, you know what, this is Good Friday. This is a time where we can call it Good Friday. Do you think of today as good? I mean, that story is pretty dark. If your church is having a Good Friday service or something, you very well might be having, you know, kind of a dark, somber service. That's very typical because that's what that day is about. And then you have the celebration on Sunday because you have the resurrection and the culmination of what Friday was actually about. You understand that the Friday wasn't as bad as you thought. It was really, really good. Hey, if you're somebody who is wondering whether or not you should believe in Jesus or believe in something. And maybe there's some things in the way. Maybe there's church stuff or Christian people who, you know, don't really reflect the love of Christ and that's influenced you. Would you push all of that away today and focus on Jesus Christ himself? Focus on the story of Christ and what he did. He doesn't say that every believer is going to be perfect. He doesn't say that you trust him because the church is good or because Christians are good. He says, you trust him because of what he did. He died for you. He lived the perfect life that you were trying to live, but you can't. You get credit for it by faith. And he rose again from the dead on that first Easter, proving that he is who he said he is, that he's different than every other philosopher or religious guru, that he came up out of the grave. Would you trust him with that? If you've got questions or want to know more, you know what, go to a a good Christian church on Sunday. You can go to kkla.com or kprz.com and look for a church on our website. Go there and learn the story and ask somebody. And if you can't do that, send me an email, SoCalLive at kkla.com. I'd love to share more with you. This is Southern California Live. It's our special Good Friday edition. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. We'll be back as the Friday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back, everybody, and uh, happy Good Friday once again. I hope that you are enjoying your time, got some time with your family. I hope that Easter is something very, very meaningful for you. You can send me an email, by the way, at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com to check in with me today. You know, uh, we have, in order to help make this Easter season more meaningful, we put together something called Six Steps to Easter, and it's from an acrostic that... Uh, is uh, do you like acrostics where you take a, the, the letters of a word and you you put a word that each letter would stand for? So Easter, E A S T E R, examine, admit, sanctify, transform, exalt, and reflect. And each of the last few days, we had of the last five shows, we had a pastor, a local pastor, come on and share his thoughts on a particular verse underneath that letter. Later in today's show, I'm going to give you R, reflect, and uh, we're going to do that next hour. But I wanted to take some time and and remind you of what some of these guys had to say. I think you can really get a lot from it. You can see all of it on our website, uh, our home radio station, kkla.com, and you clip the clip the uh, clip click. Click on the banner that says Six Steps to Easter, and you can actually watch a video of all of this. But I want to give you a little preview of each one. Step number one is examine yourself. And our special guest pastor was Michael Lance. He's the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship and the host of the radio program Walk in Truth. And, you know, we asked him to talk about what really is a dangerous prayer, Psalm 139 uh, verse 23, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's Pastor Michael Lance. The point is that sometimes we do yes. feel that uh, God wants us to do something or say something or, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that you did that. That's, that's yes. part of it. So how do we get used yeah. to that? How do we look at Easter coming mm-hmm. up maybe and saying, God, I want to, I want to be able to be responsive to what you're calling me to do in my yes. life not just long-term, but today, right at this minute? How do we start with that? Well, Scott, you know, this particular verse has been called, these verses have been called a dangerous prayer Mm. because it's an invitation to God to search us. So we know, and I know you guys are going to be touching on examining ourselves, and I think there's, there's both sides of the coin. But this is a prayer that David prays at the end of Psalm 139, and it has been called a dangerous prayer in this sense, that, we are asking God to investigate us. The heart of the language here is almost a winnowing process where it's a separation of the wheat from the chaff. So we are saying, Lord, let your searchlight come into my heart and investigate me. But I think as you look at the overall psalm, what you see is that David trusts the Lord. You know me. You have searched me. The psalm is kind of bookended. The opening verses have the same themes you have searched me, you know me. If if uh, folks are looking at their Bibles, you know, he talks about uh, you scrutinize my path. Um, you know, when I rise up, you know, when I sit down, there's so many beautiful uh, intricacies about God's knowledge of us. So I think David's prayer at the end is a trusting prayer. Lord, since you know me already, I invite you to let your searchlight come into my life and see what needs to be done. Mm. So you had asked me the question, how can we be a little bit more sensitive to the Holy Spirit? I think that's what you were asking me. Yeah. You know, sense his prompting. What should we do? When should we do it? I think when we invite the Lord in and we say, Lord, I trust you and I'm submitted to you and I surrender to you, we're going to have a little bit more sensitivity to what the Lord may want to do with our lives. 
I think that the word trust there is really key to this passage, isn't it? That you have yes. to trust the Lord enough to know that he is going to answer that, right? That if you really ask him, God, search me, and uh, you know my heart, test me and my anxious thoughts, well, he's going to do that. Yes. And, you know, this is when we have uh, an intimate relationship with the Lord, when we know that he loves us, even though he knows a thought before we think it, a word before we speak it. I mean, that's amazing love. Yeah. Then I think we, we feel a little bit more confident to say, Lord, I'm going to open myself up to your investigation. You see everything anyway. You're omniscient. You know, all of the uh, some of the attributes, I should say, of God are here, like his omniscience and his omnipresence. So I think David is basically saying, you know my heart already, Lord, so I open myself up to you. That was Pastor Michael Lance, Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship, talking about step one of six steps to Easter, examine yourself. That is a dangerous verse, isn't it? Because if you do that, God is going to bring some stuff up. And the next step, too, is admit your faults. It's Sean Thornton is our guest, senior pastor of pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake. And the verse is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sean's going to talk about agreeing with God. You know, the thing is that God already knows what our faults are, so you don't have to hide them. We have to agree with them. And Pastor Sean is going to talk about that now. You know, one thing about their relationship with God is he's already aware of our sins. Yeah. You know, we're not alerting yeah. him, by the way, God, I did this earlier today. You might not have seen it. You no, know, we're agreeing with him. Right. We're agreeing with him. You know, Sean, it's not like we go to God in prayer to tell him our sins and that we're informing God of our sins. That he doesn't know, by the way, God, I did, you know, this stuff today. You may not have seen it. Part of the relationship with God and part of the reason you go to God and ask him to examine you is because he already knows. And there's something comfortable about that. It's something that should be comforting to people that God still loves you and he already knows everything there is to know about you. So go ahead and tell him, go ahead and talk about it. What would you say about that? I would say that even the verb in, in first John one nine says the verb that's there in the original is the idea of agreeing with God. Hmm. So it's when I look at my life and I say, okay, I wasn't honest in that situation. I was arrogant in that moment. I, w- I was struggling with lust in my, my heart. It's, I'm agreeing with God that this indeed is not a part of his righteousness. This is not a part of his holiness. I have stepped into the dark. And that's right before First John 1, 9. It's all about walking in the light, stepping in the dark. And he's saying, we agree. My foot has stepped into the darkness. I agree with you. That is not the light. And Lord, as I confess this to you, I want to experience your forgiveness. You know, one key thing in this passage, Scott, is that the 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 real emphasis of this verse is on he is faithful and just to forgive us. Yeah. There is no doubt, no question that as we confess, he will continue to forgive us. He's not holding back on us. He's not not saying you better get your exact confession right. You better have the spiritual words exactly right. I have people say to me, I said this to God. Was that the right thing to get his forgiveness? Yeah. It's mainly in your heart saying, Lord, I stepped in the darkness and the forgiveness and cleansing of the faithful, righteous God comes back again, forgiving and cleansing that spot in the, the believer's life. You talked about agreement with God, and there's really two ways. It's agreeing that his word is true, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. Um, yep. And then also, you know, agreeing that his, uh, what God says is a sin is actually a sin, or agreeing that if there's something that we know we need to work on or that God says we need to work on, agreeing that we do. Do you find that that's a struggle for believers sometimes, that we, we know that God wants us to deal with something in our life, but we, we don't agree? 
I think you're right, and I think the more the world's values change, yeah. and even some people who name the name of Christ begin to redefine values and morality, we're beginning to misunderstand. That's why it's so important to be in God's Word. This is His revelation of Himself. This is His revelation to us of what He expects from us. I think there's actually a third thing we agree with God in, on, is not just you know, the, the two that you mentioned, this is sin, and we've stepped in it, if you will. That was Pastor Sean Thornton, who was on our show earlier this week, talking about step two of Six Steps to Easter, admit your faults. And, you know, you got to agree with God. I think he is exactly right on there. And to remember that God is just, he is forgiving, and his word is true. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The next step to Easter is sanctify with a core verse to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Earlier this week, J.P. Jones, senior pastor of Crossline Community Church and the host of Truth That Changes Lives was with us. And he's going to talk about putting off our old self and putting on the new. Pastor J.P. Jones, welcome to Southern California Live. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. So let's talk about getting ready for Easter and how do we prepare for this? You know, we have different traditions. We'll call it different things. There's Passion Week and Holy Week and there's Easter Week. We used to call it Easter Vacation, but we really should take this period of time. I think it's a great opportunity to say, hey, how do I just remind myself of the gospel and how do I remind myself of what God is calling me to do? How, would, how do you sanctify yourself? And, and with the Ephesians passage, what are your thoughts about that? Well, that's a great passage because in Ephesians 4, Paul is now talking about how we live out our new identity in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians, it starts with all of our blessings in Christ. And then chapter 2 talks about how we've been made alive with Christ, saved by grace, raised up, seated with Christ. Uh, we've been made a part of the body of Christ with every other believer. And uh, chapter 4 begins with this challenge to now to live in a manner worthy of our calling. And here at, at uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 22 to 25, what he's really talking about is how part of living out that new identity in Christ is we put off the old and we put on the new. And uh, that's what sanctification is. It's being set apart for Christ. And Part of that, in terms of our responsibility, is that daily action is, is putting off our old nature and putting on our new nature in Christ. Paul's the words that he uses is kind of a cool word. It, it, it's a word that talks about putting on clothes. It's it's the Greek verb enduo, which means you walk into your closet and you see what you're going to put on for that day, and and you put on that that outfit. Uh, but before you put on the new outfit, you got to take off the old outfit. And that's what we do as followers of Jesus, and we're to do it every day. Uh, we, we put off the old stuff, the, the deeds of the flesh, the behaviors that were part of our old nature, and we put on the new stuff, all the virtues of Christ. And we, we have it. It's kind of a package deal. When you, when you receive Jesus, you receive everything that comes with Jesus, yet there's a daily responsibility for every believer to put that on. So uh, I, I would say to people just— Almost picture yourself walking into your closet, taking off your your old clothes and putting on the new clothes. You know, put on. I'm going to put on love. I'm going to I'm going to put on joy. I'm going to put on peace. I'm I'm going to put on righteousness. I'm going to put on holiness. It's a it's a mental, willful action to put on Christ. You know what I really like about that is that when we talk about sanctifying ourselves, it's not just about ourselves. When you're putting on clothes, you're you're getting ready to present yourself to other people. They're going to see you a certain way. Exactly. 
And, uh, you know, I, I like to think of that, you know, when I was in high school playing football after football practice, you know, you, you'd take off all that gear and then underneath you, you had the shirt and the, the, the shorts that you wore underneath it. And it's just soaked with sweat. And uh, that, that, that's not the stuff that you want to have underneath any clothes you wear when you go home or go out on a date or do whatever you're going to do. You've got to take that stuff off. And um, the, the Bible's real clear that the stuff that is part of our fleshly nature, is, it, it's, it's distasteful. Uh, it's not pleasing to God. It doesn't help us become the people God wants us to be. So we've got to take that stuff off. And, and uh, that stuff stinks sometimes, too, right? That we have in Christ. And that stuff stinks sometimes, right? People can smell <laughs> that a mile away. And, oh, oh, yeah. And that's, that's, I think, a really important point with Sanctify Yourself is that we're, we're doing it for the purpose of our ministry. That was Pastor J.P. Jones, the senior pastor of Crossline Community Church and host of Truth That Changes Lives, talking about sanctification as we're doing the six steps of Easter review. You can get all the videos of the complete interviews with all of these pastors at kkla.com and click the six steps banner. When we come back, we're going to talk about the process of sanctification and transforming our thinking. And we're going to have special guest Steve Wilburn with us from Court Church Los Angeles. This is Southern California Live. Pastor Scott Furrow with you. be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Pastor Scott with you on this Good Friday. Great to be with you today. We're reviewing our six steps to Easter, and step number six will come up in our next segment at the top of the hour, and I look forward to giving you that step. But for the last uh, five shows, going back to last Friday, we've had a step each and every day to help us get ready for Easter. And if you are listening, you are hearing from different pastors who have added to this conversation, and the step that we're on now is called Transform your thinking. And our special guest is Pastor Steve Wilburn. He is the head pastor of Core Church Los Angeles and the host of Core Truth Radio. And the verse is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable uh, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And he's going to talk about, we had a, we were talking about a broken culture in the interview. You can see them all at kkla.com and click the six, six Steps banner. And he's going to talk about what it means to be transformed. This was Pastor Steve Wilburn on Southern California Live earlier this week. You know, we're being told to think differently than human beings have ever thought in yeah. a lot of areas, particularly gender and some other things. Yes, but this really isn't new. I think it's new, but it's not new. This has been the work of the devil since Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent. Oh, absolutely. Right. Uh, is it really that? Is it really that? How do we as believers step into this season and transform our minds and not conform to the pattern of this world, which is a different mindset? Well, let's go back to the verse that you quoted at the beginning of the top of the show here. Uh, you know, he, uh, the Apostle Paul said in Romans uh 
uh, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, which is what the world is trying to get us to do, but be transformed. Mm. This word transformed is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. So God is saying, look, you were one thing before, but now that you've come to know me, you're born again, you're renewed in your spirit, you're born from above, born of God. I want to make you something completely different than what you could ever be. Be. It, that word transformation, again, metamorpho, the metamorphosis, that is like when you see a caterpillar, this little slimy worm thing with a hundred legs on it, you know, go into a cocoon and it comes out a beautiful butterfly and it's flying. I mean, it's like the caterpillar and the butterfly, like these are completely two opposite things. That's the word that God uses. You know, he only uses that word two other times in the entire hmm. Bible. One is when Jesus was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's shown as bright as light. And so, you know, so it was that time only, and, and another time when he's talking about us wanting to be more like him. So think about, you know, we are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. That's right. So we need to have that transformed life. That's why he says, I want you to be a light that shines. And again, Scott, we're not shining our light like, oh, look at me. I'm a little <laughs> light bulb. No, it's like Jesus said, I and the light of the world. All Jesus is asking is since he lives inside us, remember what it says in 1 Corinthians, you know, uh, chapter 3, he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? So all Jesus is asking is, can you not cover me up? Right. Can you allow people to look into your eyes and no longer see you, but see me inside of you? See, that's the transformation. That's the different person. I tell people all the time at church, because as a pastor, you know, people will come up to you and say, and you know this because you are a pastor. Pastor, that message minister to my heart. It right. was exactly what I needed to hear. And you're thinking, oh, okay, and people want to compliment you and things like that. And I tell people, I said, look, when you see something good in me, like if something in my life touches you and you are spiritually blessed, thank Jesus, because that's, that's what right. Jesus did in me. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if you see something stinky, a little, you know, <laughs> maybe not so patient, that's me. You know, like driving on the streets of L.A. <laughs> that's not, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I heard somebody say once that the last part of a Christian to be sanctified is his right foot. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's me. You know, yeah. especially when you get behind those people in L.A. because there's hardly no left-hand turn lanes and they stay behind the crosswalk when the light's green. No, move out <laughs> to the center of the intersection so not only you when the light turns yellow can hang a left, but maybe three other people behind you. Anyway, but that's a whole other subject. Right. Let's yeah. think happy thoughts right now. Let's do that. You know, you're talking about uh, people seeing the light in us and something that I think people may not realize, but most people become Christians not simply because they showed up to church on Easter one Sunday. Almost everybody for 2,000 years who has become a Christian became a Christian because somebody shared the gospel with them, usually not a pastor, some, their mom or That's their dad, right. brother or sister, a friend, a coworker, or in your case, somebody that you were sitting next to yeah. shared the gospel. You know, and I think that we need to trust God for that. Absolutely. We need to trust. That's part of transforming our mind, right? That's that right. In our, in our minds, we need to trust that God has put people in my life on purpose. That's right. For me to share the gospel to, that God has already ordained that to happen. Yeah. And, and the people that do give their life to Christ at church, because we do yeah. altar calls oh, yeah. every week. We see anywhere from 10 to 20 people a week give their life to Christ at core church. How did they get there? That's right. Somebody they got invested there in because that. someone 
Exactly. They invested them. They planted a seed. They've been watering the seed. All I'm doing is just taking in the harvest. Someone else did all the hard work. They did the plowing. They did the planting. They did the watering. And and I think we forget that. And it's like, how could we hold this message back? I I think we're all – we should all have a life verse. I'm sure you have a a couple life verses. I have a a few life verses, you know, but one of the life verses for me is found in the Old Testament, book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 6. And and he's talking about who he desires us to be. And this is what it says. He says, true instruction was in their mouth and unrighteousness was not found on their lips. They walked with me in peace and uprightness. So this is this is who we should be as men and women of God. Okay, but he goes on to say, and the fruit of their life was and they turned many back from iniquity. That's right. Wow, what a great verse that is. Yeah. And I also another life verse for me is Ezekiel 2:7 and it says, "But you and who's the you there? It's the believer. It's yeah. the one who's asked Christ in their heart. It's the one that's been transformed. The metamorphosis has happened in their life." And that was Pastor Steve Wilburn as part of our Six Steps to Easter talking about being transformed. You know, he's so right. And the thing is is that we can be used by God when we're transformed by him. And if you go through all these steps, and if you're just joining us, we are reviewing the six steps to Easter on our Good Friday show today. And we've gone from examine ourselves and admit, admitting our faults, sanctifying ourselves, transforming your thinking. And now um, we're going to go on in the next hour to actually step six. And I'm going to give you that one, and then we'll come back to step five. Step six is reflect his light. And the idea here is that when we examine ourselves and then we do what the Lord is calling us to do, he's going to transform us and then he's going to use us. See, you can be used by God. You can, wherever you're at, even if you're a brand new believer, even if just today you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God is ready to use you. Jesus is got something for you to do. And really, it's just in the scriptures when somebody turns to Jesus, the simple thing that they're called to do is to let people know what Jesus has done in your life, which really for all of us is what we're called to do. Let people know what Jesus has done for us. And for some people, it was, well, I was blind and now I see right? And for some of us, we've got more of a story to tell, but whatever it is, we are saved by Jesus Christ. And because of his death and resurrection, and that's what this weekend is about, that's what we've been talking about, this is what we need to focus on as believers in our life and being transformed by him. You can get all of the Six Steps to Easter and watch the complete interviews with each one of these pastors by going to kkla.com right now and clicking on the Six Steps banner. And also, if you want to send somebody a Bible for free, there's a link right there at kkla.com for a new believer's Bible. Click on that and we'll send anybody that you think needs a Bible, we'll send them uh, a new believer's Bible courtesy of Harvest Ministry. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. Good Friday show. I will be back with step number six as the Friday edition of Southern California Live continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.